Welcome to Try Not to Blink, a podcast about the ups and downs, ins and outs, news, tips, and tricks of those who live the optometry lifestyle. We'd like to thank the amazing people at Valley Contacts who have made this podcast possible. True visionaries and makers of the stellar gas permeable custom stable lens. Yes. My name is Dr. James Diem. I'm on the East Coast. And I'm joined by my talented co-host, a rep in the West Coast, Dr. Roya B. What is up, Roya? Did you like that? I appreciate the change up. That's what's up. It was good. It was a good one. Huh. I do appreciate B. it. B. Good no? one. You didn't like yeah. that? Like, like, I get it. Leave me alone. <laughs> what's, Patrick's, what's Patrick's last name? Allen. You never, you never thought you'd go with the Allen, no? Patrick I like Michael I think Allen. It's a nice, very, strong it is Irish very, name. It is very strong. I love his name. Perhaps someday when we have a little, like, little wee family of our own, or if okay. we ever leave Seattle and want to, okay. like, it's yeah. easier to to ditch my name. But okay. I don't know. I like my name. Dr. Like Habibi. It is cool. Habibi is also is, for those who don't know, a term of endearment. I didn't know that, actually. Habibi is... Darling, my darling, you'd say it to a, it really? uh, it's, it's like a masculine word. It's an Arabic word. I'm not Arabic, but that's a long story. But um, Habibi is what I would say to you. You're my Habibi. You're my buddy. You're my, okay. you're my good friend. It's like right. darling as a last you name. Never shared that with me. See, I'm glad that glad we learned something new here today. I'm here uh, just to teach everyone. Everyone can go talk, call one of their friends a Habibi today. Go shout it on, <laughs> go shout it on the mountain. We have lots of new stuff to learn and uh, we want to say thank you. You know, thank you for being a listener. We want to ask you to engage with us. Uh, we have a social media account, our Facebook, our, our uh, Instagram, and uh, we do have uh, email and and a telephone number that you could text or do we call. have a telephone number? We used to have a telephone number. We don't have a telephone number. Jimmy's going like to give out it. his telephone number for all of you to hear. 436-1930. That is my personal cell phone. And you can text, call, do whatever you want. I do not care. It's out there. Go for it. Roy is like blushing. She's worried for me. I'm but I really... trust my optometric colleagues. And uh, <laughs> if you guys want to call me, harass me, it's fine. Go for it. Uh, we're happy to chit chat. Mom's the word on mine. You'll have yeah. to work harder for that. I don't even know her, <laughs> her number. <laughs> I, so. I want to talk about one really quick thing. Yeah. Um, just earlier, last, a month ago today, I'm reading on iWire. Uh, uh-huh. New England Call of Optometry. Oh. No, I didn't launched, think you were Okay, well, maybe we have something else to say. But yeah, I do. Launched a hybrid... OD teaching and training program. So it's expanding its program to offer a hybrid teaching clinical training model. It's called Agile Campus. The first of its kind launching 2023, making it more accessible to a diversity of students. By the sounds of it, they're going to be providing more online Okay, I'm just trying to like read this really fast. So students enroll will blend online learning with rigorous in-person clinical training that will draw upon expertise in the optometric community. This approach is expected to expand the diversity of the base individuals pursuing a professional career in optometry. Interesting, right? Hmm. It's a four-year program. It will share the same academic and clinical training standards as their traditional optometry program. Huh. I know. Very interesting. Hey, very interesting. I mean, real talk, like, has it not basically been that for everyone this past year? Why not just yeah, pivot right. on this and provide more resources? Go for it. Yeah. What do you see negative about it? Nothing. I think it's good. I think it's a, I think it's an excellent idea. I, I don't see anything wrong with it. I, I think we're going to see it more and more in many different ways and, We've all become so used to it. I can't even think about a time where it wasn't just second nature to have seven Zoom calls and so forth. So, yeah, it's good. Good. Interesting, yeah. What did you think I was going to say? I thought you were going to mention Tirvaya. Tirvaya? Tirvaya. Tirvaya. Am I supposed to know what this is? You should. It was just FDA approved. Oh, 
yesterday. Teach us more. Tiravaya is the new nasal spray. Oh, uh, yes, yes, yeah. That's his name? <laughs> it's kind of complicated. Oyster Point, you- yep. Oyster Point has brought about Tier Via a new um, nasal it's not Tier Via. Tier Via, Tier Via. I, I really don't know. Tier what Via. Do you, how do you say it? <laughs> oh, whoa, whoa. T uh, Y R V A Y A. So, how would Is you say that? Is this what we're that? trying to say? Wow. I, say was ex- I was literally Googling Tier Via. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's not even spelled. Yeah. So anyway, tier. I think I would. I look. How do you? How would you read? Spell that. Say that. Okay. Um. I think I would go. Shit. I think I would go tier via. It's tier via. That's what it is. Tier via. Oh man. Yeah. It's Ouch. Okay. 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 I'm ready for it. I'm tier excited via. about it. It's I like believed your to activate the trigeminal parasympathetic pathway via the nose, resulting in increased basal tear film production. The trigeminal parasympathetic pathway plays a role in tear film homeostasis, and basal tear film is produced by three structures, as we all know, and this is believed to stimulate that. So one spray in each nostril, twice a day, 12 hours apart, is what um, the indication is for. So we'll see. Should be interesting. One more tool for the toolbox. Yeah, there you go. Speaking about the toolbox, we are going to add a whole new layer. Level. Crack it open. Right now. Upgrading now. All right. Very good. I have finally tracked her down. It is like the unicorn that you've been looking for your whole life. And my unicorn is perfect. It is. And uh, we, we just, man, it was tough. It was very hard. She's very difficult to get, you know, locked down. But really the truth is I asked her three minutes before. I'm like, Selena, Dr. McGee, we have a podcast in seven and a half minutes. Can you do it? She's like, no, Jimmy, I have had... My this is called boundaries, Jimmy. I've you don't know schedule. boundaries. No. Other none. people know them. I've had my schedule booked out for literally 17 months. And it's offensive that you ask me things seven minutes in advance. But I've done it in succession for literally three months, probably. I, and so anyway, I gave her 48 hours notice this time, which I think was more than enough. <laughs> Uh, to get on this podcast. And uh, we are very grateful that Dr. McGee, amongst all of her busy, busy, busy um, things that she's doing, she owns a optometric practice in uh, Oklahoma. She is uh, obviously, um, you know, very involved in advancing our profession, you know, very involved in the optometric uh, association of physicians, I believe. Is that what it is? What's, what's the call? The, the Oklahoma Optometric Physician Association. Is that what it is? Yep. The Oklahoma Association of Optometric Physicians. Okay. Say that three times. Now, Lots of O's, A's, K's, P's. And she's been very involved in that. And I know um, I'm going to ask her some questions about some of the work that they did just over the last couple of years. You know, it involved a lot of her time, effort, and energy, um, which, you know, obviously spills over to the rest of the country. And then uh, not to mention, um, you know, all the work that she does in in industry to help, you know, again, advance our profession, uh, having optometry as a integral seat at the table, you know, when new medicines and uh, different initiatives are coming to market. I think it's really important. Um, and and uh, obviously, you know, you have a family and like an actual life too. Is that part of it? Is that also it's, a thing? It's part of it. I know. Can you find it hard to believe, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's almost <laughs> unreal. So without further ado, we have Dr. Selena McGee. Thank you, doctor. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. I love that we finally got to connect. And I think this was the third time. So we're going to roll with third time. It's only two. Oh, right? three? I like yeah. that. That's I like good. that. It's actually better than I thought. Yeah, good. <laughs> so you are originally from Oklahoma. Is that correct? I Yes. Yeah, so I am originally from Oklahoma. I grew up in a really small town. 
I actually graduated with 18 people in my high Shut school up. class. <laughs> what, is oh that like? what, is, yeah. what is that like? What does that even mean, 18 people yes, in your class? Yes, it means that nine of us had been together since kindergarten, and we really needed to get away from each other. Wow. And, Do you still um, keep in touch with these people? I feel like 18 yes, people yes. makes them like your family, basically. They, they are, and absolutely. And I live now two hours away from my small hometown. And my best friend that literally I've known since I was born, we're still close. She lives not oh. too far from here. And, you know, my science teacher still comes to see me. My English teacher, <laughs> they drive two hours to come and see me. And, you know, it's humbling. These people, you know, literally took me from from grade school all the way to where I am now. So I, I don't wow. ever forget that. Very cool. What yes. does it mean yes. to be from Oklahoma? Like, you know, I think you know, we all have maybe a preconceived notion about Oklahoma. I don't know. Farms well, they're, they're and cowboys. Things, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tornadoes or something. Yeah, this <laughs> is true. There are some peripheral <laughs> things that um, can be um, not difficult. We have earthquakes too, by the way, now. Really? So we have, the way we have all kinds. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag global warming. Join us on the West right. Coast. <laughs> I think it's cracking, but that's another. Okay, there you go. Well, that's good. <laughs> But what I didn't know when, so I got into optometry when I was 19 and actually I traveled to Pennsylvania and spent a summer there because I desperately thought I wanted to get out of Oklahoma. So I stumbled into optometry really on accident on the East coast. And I'll never forget the optometrist that I worked with, you know, he's like, Selena, the best school in the country is in Oklahoma the best laws for optometry in Oklahoma. And I had to pause and go, really? In Oklahoma? It just seems kind of random. <laughs> and so I came back that summer and I found out that, yes, we did have an optometry school in Oklahoma. And so I actually transferred schools because I thought that I would have a, a better shot of getting into optometry school if I was already there. So I, I applied to school, sight unseen, didn't have a place to live, <laughs> uh, applied, got into undergrad and drove through town on the, my way home from Pennsylvania, found an apartment and started school two days later. Wow. So that's kind of how my life has always played out. <laughs> um, and, you know, and then I just ran with it. And then I got over there and I you know, we, we started doing lasers and YAG capsulotomies in 1988. So I enrolled in optometry school in 1998. So <laughs> we had been doing procedures for many years that, you know, doctors had fought for and just knowingly did it. We've had some, some real pioneers in Oklahoma. And so I had this aspiration to always leave Oklahoma because I thought there would be, you know, no pun intended, greener pastures. But <laughs> what I found was that Oklahoma has amazing laws and the people here are just phenomenal. And so it, there's always been forward thinking leadership in Oklahoma. And, uh, you know, that's that's where my roots are. And so the rest is kind of history, you know, almost 20 years later. It's the, it's the real frontier then, huh? It's the real frontier. I mean, <laughs> but, to, you know, to think that... We were doing lasers in 1988, and the next state to do lasers was Kentucky, and that was in around, I think, 2011. That was like three months ago. Yeah, 2011, <laughs> right. 2014, right? Yeah. Now we have nine states that have similar scopes of practice, and for the first time ever, you know, last year we had two states that advanced that scope in the same year. So I really feel like the domino has started to tip, and, you know, more states are going to follow suit, and the fact that, you know, any part of that journey that I'm in and can be a part of and a voice in is just amazing to me. So I'm, I'm thrilled to do what I do and have the platform, you know, that, that we all share with leadership and autometry across the world and across the country. And what do you, what do you think made Oklahoma this, you know, pioneer year, like 40 years before anyone else got yeah. maybe 30. My math might be off, but so long before. Many years. Why? Yeah. Why? You know, we had some really just, it was the people. So, you know, David Cockrell is certainly a big leader in the country and what optometry has done and has certainly been a voice in Oklahoma for many years and it has really paved the way for a lot of us. But you know, George Foster was my dean. You know, he always talks about the three-legged stool and the fact that we had a school 
And it worked very closely with our organization of optometry, which was the OAOP, like we talked about earlier. And then, of course, the state board and that three-legged stool or those three pieces. And so they were really instrumental in just the way that we think about optometry and how we progress the profession forward all together in that three-legged stool. And so that's really kind of where that was founded. But some of our laws even go back to the 70s. And those are people that I've never even met. But I just think it's so profound and, and just we have to just take so many lessons from that, that we always need to think bigger and think about the decisions that we make and the, the laws that we put into place. What is this going to look like in 10 years? What happens when we get a new injection? You know, something changes, something else comes down the pike that we all want to be able to do. And so those things are really important to think about when you're writing laws, when you're looking at laws, that everything needs to be exclusionary, not inclusionary those really key words matter. And so you just have to think way ahead of where you are, not just what you want to achieve today. Yeah. Super cool. Fantastic. It's, it's amazing. And, yeah. and that's all good stuff. But what I really wanted to know was what kind of, uh, <laughs> what, what kind of like foods do you eat in Oklahoma? And, you know, like what kind of jokes do people crack about Oklahomans? And I mean, <laughs> You know, like oh, really, you know, it's, really, it's what does a, it mean to be from Oklahoma? <laughs> I mean, when I was in Pennsylvania, people like literally <laughs> thought we like rode around in like covered wagons. That's, that's and, exactly <laughs> what I think. I think of yeah. what's the cover? What is the uh, game that we played back in elementary? Oklahoma Trail. Oh, is that what it was called? No. no, it's like Oklahoma Trail. Do you know what I'm talking about? Dr. Mickey? I don't know. Oh you know, and the, the summer I mean, that I was that. in Google it. This, the summer that I was in Pennsylvania was the summer that Twister came out. Yes. And oh my goodness. And people were like, does that really happen to cows fly around? And I was like, absolutely not. This is just complete and utter nonsense. Yes, we do have <laughs> Oregon large trail. tomatoes. Oregon Trail. Oregon Trail. But it should have been the Oklahoma Trail, yeah. But yeah, but Oklahoma Oklahoma is amazing. The people here are just phenomenal. Food. What kind of food? <laughs> Oh, let's see. Gosh, there's so many good things. I mean, barbecue is big here. Barbecue? You know, barbecue, you know, uh, lots. If you're going to have a steak, you need to have it in Oklahoma because we have mm. amazing beef here. Okay. So if so I go good. out of the state, I'm not getting a steak by any means. All right. All right. <laughs> I like that. Oklahoma okay, steak. If you were, right. if you were stranded on a desert island mm. and you were only allowed <laughs> one <laughs> food item, for the rest, it could be anything. It could be an Oklahoma steak. It could be French fries. It could be Don't whatever give you want. All the answers. Oh, no. I'm just I, saying. So we actually play this game at, at work on our Monday <laughs> meetings, and my food is avocado. I I Holy could goodness. live on that for the rest of my life. It's a healthy so fat. That's, that's what's coming to. That's what. It's good for skin too, by the way. And oh, that's oh, what, right. that's what's coming to the island with me. <laughs> I like this. All right, there we Maybe go. She's weaving in. Maybe with a side of chips and queso, but oh, yes, <laughs> right. like there a full and complete meal. What more do you ask for? Is Mexican like Mexican food? Tex-Mex is that a thing? Kind of big. It there? is. Yeah. Yes, there's some great restaurants here. There, yes. Okay. All right. Good. All right. So here we are. You're in practice. You went to school. We did the thing. Here we are. You won all the awards. You were top of your class, obviously. And you're so inject you're you're yagging. You're doing all this other you're stuff. You're shooting like, lasers mm, all over the place. Boring. This isn't yeah. enough. I need to. <laughs> yeah. We need to do something bigger. Yeah. Not. Good and enough. you decide. I'm just gonna make everyone more beautiful in my practice. So this is an interesting story. Let's hear it. And, and, and like my, you know, my journey into optometry, it kind of happened by accident. So <laughs> I, and so let's talk about Botox first, because that was the first thing yes. that I added. So I had a nurse, a nurse that worked with me. She was a technician. She had worked in cosmetic um, with a plastic surgeon for, gosh, like almost 10 years. And she wanted to do something different. So she came to work with me just as a technician, and which she was amazing at. But we would see patients and she's like, you know what? Why aren't you doing Botox? You know all of the muscles. You understand the face. You look at eyes all day long. You look at lids all day long. Why aren't you doing this? And I paused for a minute and I was like, hmm. I don't know. I hadn't really thought about it. Because we use Botox for therapeutic reasons, right? Blepharospasm. Sure. That I thought about all the time. And I was like, 
Well, let me think about that for a minute. So I went and pulled our law and just looked at it really closely to make sure what I was kind of thinking about and getting into. And so I looked at our law and our law is exclusionary, like we talked about, and it, it is listed. The only things that we cannot do are LASIK, retina surgery, and cosmetic lid surgery. And I was like, well, cosmetic lid injections, that's not a surgery. Botox is an injection. And so I was like, hmm. So I decided to see how well I could do this and could I get trained to do this. So I enrolled myself in a little weekend course for strictly cosmetic because we could do therapeutic and we learned how to do that in school. So therapeutic injections, is that what you're saying? Yes. Yep. Therapeutic injections. And so I went to this course, which they actually did not want me to go because I was an OD and they didn't even really know what that knew what that meant. <laughs> hey. And so they were like, Oh, whatever, just pay your money. You can come. Right. Fine. So, take it. Yeah. <laughs> fine. Take, take my, you know, $1,500. And right. So I go this weekend and it was really interesting. Where and was, was it? Do you mind me asking? Was, was it in it Oklahoma? In, no, it was in Dallas. You had and to go to Dallas. Yeah. I had to go to Dallas and this was pivotal because this was the moment when I realized what this could be. So I go to this course, there's 30 people in the course, and it was a mix of OD, sorry, MDs, DOs, RNs, dentists, and I think there were a few like PAs, and then there was me. And as we've talked about, I might be a little bit of a nerd. So of course, I sit on the front row. (laughs) <laughs> and nice. the one of the MDs that was there, she had passed her her boards the night before. So of course she's with her one of her friends, and they're celebrating as they should. But I just remember thinking, like, okay, if she's anything like me, like this is the smartest she's ever going to be before start, you know stuff starts to trickle out and we forget. And the proctor knew that she had passed her boards the night before, and so he asked her, he's like, so tell me the muscle around the eye and what its action is. And she says with a straight face, I have no idea what the muscle is or what it does. We don't learn anything about A, the eye or the muscles really even around the eye or even on the top half of the face. And so at that moment, the hair like on the back of my neck, like stood on end. Uh, I was like, you know, I was like, wow, are you kidding me right now? Like I'm the most qualified person in this room to be doing this. So we're going to do this. Yep. And I came home like with just a a whole new um, just guiding light maybe. And so I talked to our board, I called them and I was like, okay, here's what our state law says. You know, what's your interpretation? Where are we? Can we do this? And they said no initially. And I pushed back and I said, I think we can. And let's, let's and talk I have about been. it. <laughs> and, just, no, I hadn't done if, it. I'm well, just kidding. I, That's what I, I would have said. Yeah. I was like, no. <laughs> Not you. I, I, know. I, play, I play by the rules. I know you but, do. Um, <laughs> and, and so I pushed back and, you know, they talked amongst themselves and kept going kind of back and forth. And then, of course, you know, David Cockrell is on our board and and Russell Laverty at the time was on the board and, and still is. And so they talked about it pretty extensively and said, you know what, this is within our scope of practice. We do things around aging all the time. Doing a YAG capsulotomy is an aging process. You get a posterior capsular pacification because of age. This is no different. And so, you know, that's the kind of thinking that they have. And so, great. I was like, sweet. Took me six months, but we're there. This is within our scope of practice. So I, you know, call up and try to set up my accounts. And they said, Oh, no, you're an optometrist. You're dumb, dumb. Sorry. <laughs> yep. Yeah, you're, you're not getting in a you're not, you're not getting in a, an account set up. You go ahead and yep. let your MD call me or your DO and then you can set up your account. And I so said, then you called China not. and got it sent direct. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I said, I was like, absolutely not. I'm not doing that. And okay, by right. the way, this is within our scope of practice. And they were like, we don't really care. And so I pushed back on industry. And luckily, I had some good friends within Allergan, of course, on the eye care side, but they knew who to contact on the aesthetic side. And so six more months later, we finally got to open the first account in the country as an independent optometrist. So, Super cool. Yeah. The more I'm going to reach is, through and brush your shoulder off. 
<laughs> well, I mean, like, but the moral to this is you, you don't ever do this stuff alone. A, yeah. Right. You know, it takes a, it takes a whole team of people and, and certainly, you know, you never know when those, those relationships that you build are, are going to help you at some point or help someone else. True. But you never let somebody tell you no. Yeah. And especially Amen. when you know it's right. Amen. When you know it's yes. right, you fight yes. for yourself. Love it. Yes. When you know what you're doing, it's just, you know, and we do. And so that was the starting point of all of this. And then what's fascinating is like, once you pull that thread, then you start to realize how much we know and what else we can do because dry eye disease is so prevalent. And, you know, if you don't, if you do too much Botox in the orbicularis oculi, you mess with the blink reflex that affects your, your blink. It affects how your eyes feel. It can cause dry eye. It can exacerbate dry eye. You know, so that's just like one piece of it. And then you start thinking about things like IPL and radio frequency and tightening lids and skin texture and treating meibomian glands. And oh, wait, there's this whole, co- this whole cosmetic piece around what people are actually using on and around their eyes that's causing more problems, right? And so it's just amazing to me, like, as I pulled this thread, I started with Botox. Now I, ho- I have a whole entire aesthetic suite with all of that technology. And now I've started doing laser resurfacing around the eyes because that skin there is so delicate and because no other profession wants to mess with the eyes. And that's the first part of our face that ages. And so for me, like this has just been a fascinating journey and I'm just thrilled to be on it. But, you know, I learn something new every day and find a different way that this makes so much sense in optometry And think about it, like we all have opticals, we all, you know, fit and evaluate contact lenses. Nobody's putting a piece of plastic in their eye because they have to. They do it because they want to look different and they want to look, you know, a different way. You pick a new frame because you want to look a certain way or project something into space. And so, you know, people don't realize they're in aesthetics, but we're already halfway there. I, right now, kind of aesthetics is a, People are starting to talk it a little bit, talk about it a little more, especially with the new release of Upneek, which yes. anyone not knowing yes. about this, this is a drop that will help lift the upper lid. But it's funny the conversations I've been having with my my reps for it. Like, you know, they have all these new diagrams, but I I think it's important. Jimmy and I have talked about this a little bit about you need to be the one as a doctor, like facing some your patient and saying. Does this bother you, right? Absolutely. Does your, just like you would ask, hey, does your, you know, 40 diopter exotrope bother you? (laughs) There is an option for that or whatever it is. It's something that like maybe people aren't comfortable saying out loud. And that's something that we can say. So how do, like, let's talk, you know, Botox around the eyes or, you know, some of the different things. How do you talk to your patients about that? So I'm really intentional with, everything that we do. And so we screen every single patient because you just never know who is going to be excited about these things. And sometimes it's the people that surprise you. And so I've done it a couple of different ways. And at first I would let them bring it up. That's not the way to do it. Um, Second, I would have like just strategically placed, you know, POP in the office and again, let them bring it up. Also not the way to do it. So what I have found works best for us in our clinic is to be really intentional about it. So I have a screening just sheet that's got questions around dry eye. It's got questions around sleep apnea, actually, because that's so prevalent. And then questions about rosacea, retina health questions. And then there's these two last questions. One is, do you want your eyes to be more open? because that invites people to try Upneek in the office. And then the second question is, do you have anything that bothers you? And then I have little pictures of droopy eyelids, you know, skin around the eyelids that's a little loose, fine lines and wrinkles, pigmentation around the lids that's unsavory, and then just redness, blood vessels, that type of thing. And so that for us has been a game changer. Because we all know you get really busy when you try something new and the onus is completely on the doctor to do that heavy lift. When you get busy, the wheels start to fall off and it's just too easy to let something that's new and different go because it's not in our muscle memory. Totally. So I love having that questionnaire because 
the team helps me do that, right? My technicians have already dropped the, like, let's play, let's talk about Upneak for a second. So if they check the box that says, we are gonna, I want my eyes to be more open, who's not gonna answer that, right? And so my staff has the capabilities and standing orders when a patient says yes to that, then they automatically take a, a full face picture and then they drop their right eye with Upneak. By the time I get in to see them 15, 20 minutes later after all their pretest stuff, and if they're not dilated, of course, then I look at it, we take another photo and we talk about it together. And I love doing that. And of course, when they love it, we balance them out and they go home with their drops. But that's a great way to, to get Upneak into the conversation without the doctor having to feel awkward about you know, hey, does this bother you? Have you noticed this? Those questions are still really good. So I still have patients that don't check that box. And my rule is you need to ask and look, and then you need to look and ask. Because if they didn't check it, we're still going to have a conversation. And that's how you bring it up. Have you noticed this? Does this bother you? Have you ever considered X, Y, and Z? I have never in all of these conversations had a patient be anything except grateful that there's someone that can help them, that there's someone that asked, that there's someone that has a solution for them. You'll just be amazed at the conversations that you have with patients when you start to implement just those real simple little pieces to enhance your dialogue. I love that. Love it. Tell yeah. me uh, so many things we could talk about, but I think, again, <laughs> I, the, I, I, I know not much, very little about Botox. So I'm going to go back to Botox real quick. Yes. So, Yes. Does is this something that you know patients come to you asking for? Do you have signage specifically in reference to Botox where people are like, Psst, "I want some Botox"? Are they <laughs> like, you know, are they are they you know are you bringing it up like you just kind of like you just said with the you know by way of the um, questionnaire as well as you know oh I see you know you have some really obvious frown lines or crow's feet or um, you know, whatever these ones are called. Is that, what is this yeah, one? Right 11s. Right here, 11s. 11s. You got 11s, <laughs> you know, so you really need some Botox. And so how, the start of the conversation, what, what is that? That's what I want to know for Botox. I love it. Is it them so or is it you or both? No. So, so it's the question of, is there anything that bothers you? Because you never want to point something out that someone has never noticed. And it's interesting what bothers some people in one way will not bother someone else in a different way. So I think it's really important to ask the question of, do any of these bother you and give them like a little picture menu, or is there anything about the way that your eyes look or the skin around your eyes? Is there anything that bothers you? That's the question. So that then they can tell you, you know what, these frown lines make me look mad and they make me look tired and I don't like them. Or, you know, these little crinklies that I have on the edge of my eye, on my eyes, those bother me. But you don't ever want to point things out because for some patients, like their crow's feet is part of them being happy and smiling all the time. And they love that. And so it's really important to me for patients to give me that feedback of, let's have a conversation. You tell me what bothers you. And then I'm going to be able to help you achieve what you want to achieve in the best way possible. And so that's how I talk to patients. And so like, let's just take an example that they say, you know what, these frown lines do bother me. People comment on it. They tell me I look mad and I'm not. That's, you know, no better way to ruin a day when somebody says that to you, right? And so that's when we can have a conversation of we have some options. You know, we can do radio frequency and tighten skin. We can do Botox and relax that muscle. And you don't ever want to use words like, paralyze or, <laughs> yeah. you know, so you have to be really careful with your verbiage. And I would encourage everyone to really think this through and have some key pieces. So I work with a dialogue coach. I'm really careful with how I say things and what I say. And I think all of us could benefit from that just to take us to the next level. But, you know, having that conversation of, yes, we can relax that muscle so that that's what's forming that wrinkle underneath it. And when that's relaxed, then that's going to soften, you know, and you don't ever want to, to over promise and under deliver. So we use words like relax, we use words like soften, th 
those kinds of things. You know, one of my favorite things with Upneek is this is a like a cup of coffee for your eyelids. You know, <laughs> those are the kind, and sometimes patients will like say things to you like that. That came from somebody else's patient, but it's brilliant. Very and, smart. you know, and so they'll tell you things and then you can even, you know, further conversations with other patients just by based on what your patients tell you. But that's some of the verbiage that I use with patients, you know, around frown lines, crow's feet, et cetera. What, what's interesting, I think, though, is that no one's ever talked to me about their frown lines. So do you think I'm just not, you know, do you have signage? Do you have like, I mean, so, I, so, so the, the screening questionnaire that I have, every single comprehensive exam that comes into my clinic gets that. And it has these little thumbnail pictures of frown lines, crow's feet, and um, forehead lines, and then droopy brow, and then pigment around their lids. So they get a little thumbnail picture of, does this bother you? And uh-huh. then they check that box. Uh-huh. Because even just having like things around the office like POP, like it's still dependent on the patient to have to ask about it. You know, and some people are embarrassed about it. I've had plenty of patients that feel bad about themselves because they want, they, they think that they're vain and nothing could be further from the truth. It's not vanity that makes you want to, you know, look as good as you feel or look the way that you feel when you um, look in the mirror. Like that's not vanity. We're just here to help you live your best life. And if that means that we're going to relax that muscle between your eyelid, between your eyes, so that people aren't thinking that you're mad all day, then we're going to do that. There's nothing vain about that. So they they say, all right, we're good. I, you know, I, I checked the box. I'm circling the picture. I don't like the 11s or the crow's feet. I'm pissed (laughs) about that. It's not vanity. I want you to help me out, sister. Yes. Uh, You know what, what's next? So, all right. Mrs. Jones, you are an excellent candidate. What do you do? So at that point, then I will, if I have time in the clinic, which I typically don't these days, then I bring them back to do a true like aesthetic appointment. And then we, we do their injections and yeah, I mean, it's, it's straightforward. I mean, we take one thing that I would tell people, you know, take lots of pictures. So when the patient comes in for that appointment, we're doing pre-treatment photographs. And of course you're doing it with their face resting and then you're making all those funny faces so you can see full movement. Mm. No one is as critical of their face until they have something done. So you really need those photographs. Okay. And then, you know, we do their injections and we walk through the, the pros and cons and what they, you know, contraindications, you can't go home and take a nap on your face. I can't, you can't wear a baseball cap. You can't go do a bunch of like sweaty things and put a headband on and migrate that somewhere that it shouldn't be. And then we go right on and I will have, so if it's a new patient, I will have them come back in two weeks because that's how long it takes for Botox to have its full effect. If you start evaluating people at three days, five days, seven days, you're going to wind up overdoing it because it hasn't fully taken effect yet. So give them that full two weeks, bring them back, look at everything. And if you need to make tweaks, then make tweaks. You can add to it, you cannot take it away. So, you know, treat conservatively, but treat fully. That's another lesson learned. Under treating is just as bad as over treating. It's really the Goldilocks, it has to be just right. But it's gonna take some practice to do that. And everybody's face is different. The two sides of our faces are sisters, not twins. And so you have to, it there really is an art form to it. There's science, but there really is art as well. And, you know, brows especially are trendy. So you have to really dive into that with patients and have conversations like, whose brow do you like right now? If you go back through decades and look at eyebrows, they're very radically different from decade to decade. The 2017 brow is long gone of that, like, you know, peaky brow. Like now things are flat and full. So just having a lot of conversations around patient expectations is really important. But yeah, if, if I have time, even that day, because patients want it, we're going to inject them then. What are, what are some things that you've dealt with? I mean, you kind of just mentioned a sort of the expectation of course is always I, harder, especially when someone is doing something that's more quote unquote cosmetic, but what are some other, whether it be a cause uh, complication or just things that take chair time, right? You're what saying are things- this is not worth it. <laughs> <Does that> ever- <laughs> I mean, you do have patients that 
that they do it, they try it and they're like, you know, it's okay. There's, I have plenty of patients that hate needles. Mm. They're like, don't you have something else we can do? Yes, actually we do. Yeah. So um, it really is patient preference, but I've never had somebody that was just like super unhappy with it or, oh my gosh, I would never do this again. I have had patients that were like, yeah, you know, it does look good, but you know, do I really have to come in every 90 days? Okay. I don't know that I'm really up for that. You know, so that happens and that's okay. And, and then, then 180 to, days pass and they're back. Yeah. They're like, and then, and then <laughs> we too have long. to double the amount because <laughs> yeah. we're starting from scratch, right? <laughs> and so, but then I have lots of patients who are consistent and ev- they are in my clinic every 90 days. We pre book them and they are there on the 90th day. And those are just, they're super fun because, you know, you're talking to them the whole way. It's, it's just a, it's a different conversation in the way that when we do an eye exam, because we're, you know, doing a lot of things and talking about the whole entire eye, this we're talking initially with the patient about what we're doing, but as you're doing it, you know, I'm a huge proponent of verbal anesthesia. So I'm talking to them the whole time so that I can distract them basically, but you get to know your patients in a different way. And for me, that's really fulfilling. Totally. What um, I want to know, I'm a business owner. I want to know about the financial side. Is it, you know, is this, tell me about it. Yes. You have to be smart about it because when you, you so these um, injections come in two different size vials, a hundred units and then 50 units. So initially when you first start, you're probably not going to make a whole lot of money and you might lose a little bit of money when you get started. But play the long game. That's what we're all here to do, right? I have just always ascribed to that. I'm playing the long game. And so I knew that it was going to take a minute for me to make a profit on this, but you have to be smart about it. So line up as many patients back to back to back as you can, so that when you have three patients, you can use a hundred unit vial and not just use two fifties spread out over two weeks. And it, the other piece to that, because you lose some of your units in the hub of your needle, if you're reusing the, the resealable bottles, which you have to, you don't have a choice if you're, you know, injecting patients a day apart. So that's liquid gold. I mean, those units are anywhere from 10 to $13 a unit. So when you lose two units per needle hub, that adds up quickly. So totally. you have to you have to be really smart about it and watch your numbers and line patients up back to back to back so that you have the most success in that regard. Um, so that's my advice there. The the peripherals, you know, the needles, the solution that you reconstitute with, all of those are they're not nothing, but they're more negligible. It's really getting people into those hundred unit vials. Because some faces, like today, I had three patients, one patient needed 36 units, one patient only needed 18. And so if I had opened, you know, a 50, I was going to come up short for that third patient. And so now I've gotten it to where on these 90 days, I've got the same amount of patients so that I can use those 100 unit vials. um, Strategically. Yes, strategically. Thank you. What about like, let's just give an example, crow's feet or mm-hmm. people sometimes will say, oh, my, I had a really droopy lid or I couldn't open my eye for a week after I got, I mean, that's a week. We know Botox lasts far longer than that, but what are some sure. things kind of, so speaking? you just, you have to be really careful with, with where you are. I mean, when you know the muscles and you know where the migration is and how that's going to be in that muscle. I mean, Botox is like a heat seeking missile. It's going to find a muscle. So you just need to make sure you're in the right muscle and they can't go home and lay and diffuse that into an area that you don't want. You know, I mean, the levator is really superficial in the, the medial aspect of the brow. So you just stay out of that area. I have knock on wood in five years, I've never caused a ptosis. Um, and crow's feet people get real aggressive in that area because it is crinkly and that skin's crepey. So knowing that with patients that have dry eye disease, I just don't do it. And, you know, people will sometimes chase those, those lines and you just, you just can't. And you tell a patient that, look, here's, 
here's how this is going to look. We can't chase this because it's going to cause a problem somewhere else. And what's lovely about that conversation when you explain it like that is the patient is so appreciative that you know what you're doing. And in that way, and they're like, it just reinforces why they're so happy that you're the one doing it. And so for me, that's been a, a big, just sort of pat on the back in the right direction that we should be doing this. And we know this stuff much better than anybody else's. Nobody else is looking at someone's cornea under a microscope to see am I causing dry eye or not. Totally. And so, you know, that's a, that's a big part of this. And then to go back to Jimmy's question, just as I'm sitting here talking about how, you know, how many units and how much we're doing typically like in the crow's feet, I'll do, you know, 12 to 16 units, depending on the patient. But like on someone like that, when they come in every 90 days, for my clinic, that equals about $100 profit per patient four times a year. So for most of us, when we sell a year supply of contact lenses, our profit to the clinic, like true profit is about $100. So for me, when I have a $400 profit for someone coming into my office four times a year, and maybe they buy sunglasses, maybe they buy something else, maybe we you know, start doing IPL and we lead them you know, into radio frequency or laser resurfacing, those are all value added pieces that strategically make so much sense for us to be doing to add to our bottom line and to keep our practices fresh and, you know, just moving in the right direction as vertical integration happens. And I think of this as a pillar, right? My practice has multiple pillars, primary eye care, especially contact lenses, dry eye disease, aesthetics, presbyopia is going to be a pillar with everything happening in that space. And the last one is a high-end optical. So if something does happen, and from a business standpoint, one of those pillars folds for whatever reason beyond our control, my whole house of cards doesn't fall down. So for me, that's how I make sense of this and make business decisions around what we're adding to the clinic. I love it. Very cool stuff. I love it. And um, do you know how many, I mean, are other docs in your practice doing it? Are other docs in the state doing it? I, I still think it's relatively uncommon. Am I? It's, it's relatively uncommon, but here's the really cool thing. So this is, we're starting to see like a wave of people be excited about this. So I have two associates in my practice who are getting more comfortable with it. Um, they're both still fairly new. And so actually one of them injects me because I used to inject myself. And let me tell you, that's a real pain. (laughs) Um, And so I'm thrilled when somebody else can do it for me. So, but there are more doctors in Oklahoma that are doing it. And then I've gotten lots of requests from doctors outside of Oklahoma to either help train them or come to their clinic and help train them. And that is a real challenge because I have been kicked out of more trainings than I've been able to go to because the second that they find out we're an OD, they're like, nope, you're not coming. We're not, we're not going to train you. So I actually have a virtual academy that is starting in January. Very cool. And my part, my partner in that is uh, Dr. Janelle Davison. And I was like, we have got to figure out a way to get this knowledge to more people in the way that they want to receive it. And we're only, I'm only one person. It's hard for me to travel to that many places and teach people. And so I thought that would be a way that we could do that and still, you know, still may need to do some hands-on training, but a big piece of that we can do virtually. And so that's going to launch in January. So when you say kicked out of uh, trainings, do you mean like ophthalmology Mm -hmm. clinics or like, what do you, what do you Um, mean? So a lot of these like, um, their their weekend training courses like the one that I went to yeah but because they are sponsored by MDs or DOs once they because they look at your credentials before you attend and once you send in your optometry license they very kindly tell you sorry but you're not allowed to come to our training we don't like your kind here we do not. So I always, I joke that I'm like, you know, if I'm going to go to these or, or, you know, years ago when the American Academy of Ophthalmology didn't allow us into their meeting, I was right. like, you know, I'm just going to wear like a really bright orange, like fluorescent vest with a bunch of orange cones around myself, you know, warning, 
optometrist on the premise, you know, <laughs> right. hazard, hazard ahead. Right. But, I, know, I still don't me? think we're really allowed at academy meetings on our own, right? You have to have somebody like get yeah. you in, right? Yeah, which is, and I mean, you heard my story. I, I'm not going to, I don't play those, I don't play those rules. <laughs> yeah. So it, I'm going to do this, you know, not to say that I have some amazing ophthalmology colleagues that, I mean, my partner was seven for 17 years was an ophthalmologist, but they're that just as a whole, I, I do not agree with this needs to be a completely collaborative profession. hundred percent. I totally agree. Well, listen, we don't want to keep you for the rest of the evening. We really do appreciate it. But there is one last question that probably mm-hmm. supersedes every other question that we've asked you this evening. And Roya, is going to ask you. I get the honors. We ask this to all of our guests, but uh, we feel it's important and we need to know what your spirit animal is. This is the animal that defines your personality. I mean, we already clearly know a lot about you from this evening, but this just like lets us all understand really the true you in stereotypical (laughs) animal form. (laughs) Oh man. Oh, you guys like stuck unicorn in my head early. <laughs> I <laughs> during this, this. During this I think that's a great one. <laughs> I think you can run like, with that. With that, like the mythical creature that you know has her horn coming out of the middle of her head. That's how I feel like some days. <laughs> is there some? Is there some Botox for that? <laughs> right, right. Uh. <laughs> I'll take it. Sign me up. <laughs> but I think the bigger question people now is probably especially like Gen Zers are like, can I actually get that added on? They want it added. They want it added. (laughs) Definitely. Love it. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Send us uh, info on this Academy. I'm sure our listeners would love to um, love to learn more. And um, thanks again. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. Well, that's it. Before we go, reach out to us for feedback, questions, stories, things you want us to talk about either through email or on our Instagram or Facebook. We can't depart without saying thanks to Valley Contacts for their support, both the amazing lenses they make and the great people they are to work with. And be sure and tune in and listen to our next episodes. But until then, try not to blink. Blink.